0: It is wonderful to be back with you in uh, the pulpit. Um, I am grateful to God for the people who have uh, preached God's word for us in the last three weeks when I was out. Um, thank God for members like brother Paul, uh, Samuel Echeverria and uh, for Joshua Hayward, pastor at High Point, who came and preached faithfully God's word while I was absent. It is great to be back with you, and uh, this morning we are back in the book of James, in our sermon series through the book of James. I encourage you to open your Bibles uh, to James chapter 5. We'll uh, continue our sermon series this morning, uh, reading just a short passage, just a few verses, verses 7, 8, and 9. For those of you who um, are looking at one of our pew Bibles, you may find this passage on page number And for those who are new to our congregation, we have a practice here of uh, teaching God's Word, proclaiming God's Word, going through books of the Bible, and uh, we have been about 20 weeks uh, in the book of James, and uh, it is wonderful to be able to take one book at a time and just work our our way through the Word of, of Scripture. Here's the Word of the Lord for us this morning, James chapter 5. Verse 7, 8, and 9. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for our hearts this morning. Would you bow with me in prayer, asking the Lord to bless the preaching and the hearing of God's word. Father, we are privileged. We are privileged to be in your presence. You have already blessed us with your graces, with abundant grace, having invited us into the Lord's Supper, having sung together praises, having approached you with prayer. Oh, Lord, we now ask of you, would you bless us with your word for our hearts. Thank you for your revelation to us. And we pray that by your spirit, you would make your word to be living and active and give our hearts readiness, willingness to hear and to act upon it. In the name of Jesus, we pray, and for his glory and honor. Amen. Well, friends, we are quickly approaching the end of uh, the book of James. We spent more than five months in it. It has been a, um, a rough book. Some of you would say it has been a great book, and it has been a great book. But if you want to go back and read or listen to some of the sermons in the past, uh, the book of James challenges us with some very difficult commands exposes the sinfulness of our hearts in a very very rude way, in a very abrupt way, in-your-face kind of way. There's no anesthesia when James preaches about what it means to be a Christian. There's no softening of the edges. A rough book, a book that we need to hear. Well, this morning... As we look at our, this very short passage, we notice a number of commands, a number of imperatives. As a matter of fact, the, whole, the book of James is full of imperatives of what to do and what not to do as Christians. Now, please don't misunderstand. If, if you're new to Christianity or if you have a superficial understanding of Christianity, please do not understand that somehow Christianity is a religion of, of do's and don'ts. What makes someone a Christian it's not whether or not they do these commands. What makes someone a Christian is a new birth. That's right, a new birth. That's what makes someone a Christian, a new birth, a birth that God gives. And this was James's starting point in chapter 1. I'm just going to review briefly. Biblically, the starting point of the letter of James is in James one eighteen where James says, "...of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of His cre- creatures." As we hear the word of God, the Spirit of God works secretly in our hearts to awaken us from death, spiritual death, and bring us to life so that we are enabled to hear the Word of God, not just physically, but internally and spiritually, and also we are enabled to turn away from our sin to God by placing our trust in the sacrifice of Christ. The blood of Jesus was shed for the sins of all those who would repent and trust in Christ to save them from the wrath of God. Oh friend, only on hearing this news and responding to it with repentance and faith, only through that do we become Christians. God awakens us to hear His call and to respond to it, to Him. And through that entire process, we become Christians. That's what makes someone a Christian. The new birth that enables us to respond to God's gospel. If you've not responded to this gospel, oh friend, any of the commands you find in the book of James or for that matter in the whole Bible will be impossible for you to live out. Because you're still dead in your sin. And even though you hear these commands, they are never the means of becoming a Christian. They are the fruits of what it means to be a Christian and to live like a Christian, of what God produces in us. God commands us to live in a certain way that pleases Him because God has already saved us, because God has brought us to a new life with Him. And we now respond to His commands out of gratitude. And we do so out of a desire to reflect His nature, to reflect His character. And we do so because God provides us with a strength to live his commands. Well with this brief introduction of what it means to become a Christian and what it means to be a Christian, what it means to live the Christian life, we now come to four imperatives, four more commands and they're not the last ones in this book. And I'd like for us to look at these commands. Look at look at hopefully you have your bibles open. Look at these commands in verse 7. The first one is be patient. Be patient. And this command is repeated again in verse 8. You also be patient. And right after this command, there's another command that says, establish your hearts, whatever that means. We'll look at it in a second. And then in verse 9, a fourth command, a fourth imperative, do not grumble against one another. Now, what do all these commands, what do all these imperatives have to do with, with one another being clustered together in such a short amount of space. What is James seeking to communicate to us by connecting these imperatives so closely one to another? In a very simple way, James says that Christians must be patient. Must show patience. We must be patient in our reactions to our circumstances, but we must also be patient in our reactions to one another. So James is calling Christians to be patient. As we look more closely at what this command is, at what this call to patience is, I would like for us to consider three thoughts or three aspects about patience. So if you have notes, if you like taking notes, Uh, Here's the first point. We want to look at the meaning of patience. Let's look at the meaning of patience. Look at verse 7 again. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. What does that mean? What does it mean to be patient? James gives us an illustration. Now, I know we're in Austin, Texas, and uh, illustrations from agriculture may not connect with us very well, especially if you are under 21. Well, here's an illustration that James gives from agriculture, from, about farmers, people who farm. Now, you don't need to go to college to learn what farmers do. So I'm gonna say what they do to help us bridge the gap between those who li- live in a techie world in the 21st century in Austin, Texas, and uh, the, the, the picture of, of agriculture. Verse seven again, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. Patience, from this illustration, patience involves waiting. But we don't like to wait, do we? We would rather have fast results, immediate changes. So the illustration of, of, a, of a farmer waiting is a startling illustration for us. Uh, The farmer goes to prepare the soil. There's some preparation that you have to do before you put the the seed in the soil. Those who don't know farming, would you agree? Those who know farming, would you agree? That's what you need to do. You can't just sow the seed without doing some preparation. So he he does the preparation of the soil prior to sowing. Then he, he sows the seed. He puts the seed in the earth. And then he knows that after putting the seed in the earth, there's nothing else he can do except to wait. And wait not just 24 hours. Wait not just a week. Wait not just a month. He waits. And he waits. And then he waits some more. He knows that the fruit does not come quickly. It involves a longer season of, of waiting. And no matter what the technology that this farmer might have, he cannot speed up the process of germinating. And of that seed becoming a, a little plant. And that plant growing. And that plant eventually budding into some, some fruits. And that fruit's eventually growing. He's waiting for the fruit. is a long waiting. But not just that, it's a peaceful waiting. You know, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't notch his hands after 24 hours, saying, oh, I wonder what will happen. He knows that this is the way nature runs its course. He's waiting for the rain. He knows that he needs rain in order for this seed to grow into a crop. He's waiting for the early rain, and then he's waiting for the late rains. And even the rain... He can't do anything to bring it about, so he's waiting. Perhaps he's praying, depending on the Lord, to bring about that rain. But his waiting is not just waiting, it's a peaceful waiting. He knows that the harvest time is still way into the future. All he can do is wait. My friends, James defines patience with this illustration. He says, see how the farmer waits for the precious food, being patient about it? Then he goes on to say, in verse 8, You also, just as the farmer, you also, just as the one who is waiting, and waiting not just 24 hours, waiting upon waiting, just as you also, be patient. Now friends, to be patient means to remain patient tranquil while waiting. Patience is not just waiting. Sometimes you have no choice but to wait, but you have other choices while you wait. You have the choice of being really anxious about it and fretting over it and trying to use every mechanism you can to do something about whatever you're waiting about. It can be a very agitated Waiting. Or it can be a waiting in patience, with peace and tranquility. It means to bear up on their challenges without complaint. In other words, being patient is more than just waiting. It is a specific kind of waiting. A waiting that is peaceful. A waiting that is without complaining. A waiting that is without grumbling. A waiting that is without being anxious just as a farmer waits patiently for the fruit. Friends, a person who is patient is slow to anger and slow to get bitter. Slow to anger and slow to get bitter even when he can't do much about it. Nature has taught the farmer how to wait. And now James wants to teach Christians, the church, how to wait and be patient. Now there's an interesting word here, it says in verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brothers. Um, now whenever you see the word therefore, whenever you see the word therefore, it indicates that there is a conclusion to something that happened prior. There's a, a connection between what is being said now to what was being said earlier. So when James says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, how does this command to, and how does this call to patience connect to what went prior? To remind you of the context, in chapter 4, James addressed people who were fighting against each other. Yes, even in the church. Even among the people who are are supposed to be loving one another, even there, there are times when there's fightings, quarrels. Look in verse 1 in chapter 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Oh, friends, this is not the ideal. This is not what God wants of his church. But in a church that still lives with sinners and is filled with members who every one of them is still a sinner, it's a very realistic picture that sometimes, even in church, there might be quarrels and tensions and fights. That does not mean that God is not true. That does not mean that Christianity is false. In a sinful world, such things still happen. We don't want them to happen, but they still do. So James reminded these Christians that their fights came from their passions, from their own sinful hearts. James even calls them an adulterous people in verse 4. He challenged them to submit to God. Their sinful passions, which caused them to quarrel, were signs that they were actually resisting God, not just resisting one another. And James called them to humble themselves before God. Then in James 4.11, he calls them explicitly not to speak evil against one another. Some within the church were more interested in making money and making plans without dependence upon God. So James encourages them not to make plans without expressing their dependence upon God. And then in chapter 5, James, apparently, some people in the church may have been oppressed by the oppression uh, at the hands of the ungodly rich. And their circumstances were difficult. So can you imagine, in this context, there is there's oppression from the outside, oppression caused by the ungodly rich. And, and, friends, you know, we can face the oppression from the outside if you can come to a church where there's love and support and encouragement. But can you imagine, you face on one side the oppression from the outside, and then you come to church, and there's tensions. And there's quarrels, and there's bickering and grumbling against one another. So these Christians are facing challenges, not only from the outside, but from the inside as well. Oh, friends, what do you do when you have those battles on both fronts? Where do you turn? What should you do? Should you leave the church? Should you turn away from God, from Christianity? With such circumstances in mind, James commands these believers Be patient. Be patient. Be patient when you don't see the fruit you expect. Be patient when things don't turn out the way you thought they would. Be patient when you face adversity in life's circumstances. Be patient when your health is deteriorating. Be patient when you face tensions in your relationships. Be patient even when you face tensions in the church. Be patient. You may be in situations where you can't do anything to fix the problem. Be patient. Wait patiently like a farmer after sowing his seed. What does it mean to be patient? It means to exercise the muscle of waiting and do so in a very particular way. Wait peacefully. Wait without grumbling. Wait without complaining. So you may say, Well, Pastor, how long? I've waited, I've been patient for years. How long should I be patient? Point number two. Do you like taking notes? We looked at the meaning of patience. Now let's look at the extent and at the motivation of patience. The extent and the motivation for patience. How long should we be patient? Verse 7 says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until. Until when? Until the coming of the Lord. You might say, Pastor, that is the answer I did not want to hear this morning. Well, friends, I understand, it's hard. But here's how James describes the Christian life that one of the characteristics of our walk with God should be a patience until Christ returns. We don't get to say, I've been patient enough. Or, I've been patient for too long, or enough is enough. James says, Be patient until the coming of the Lord. Now, that may feel too long for us, I understand. But, friends, the coming of the Lord is not just a marker for how long we should be patient. The coming of the Lord is a motivation to help us be patient, it's also a motivation for our patience the reason why we can be patient until the coming of the Lord is because the Lord is coming. He is coming. And He will make all wrong things right. Because He is coming back, we don't have to grow in bitterness about our circumstances. Because He is coming back, no matter how hard the waiting is, no matter how hard our circumstances are while we wait, we are reminded there is a finish line. And that finish line will put an end to all the struggle that might cause us the grumbling, the complaining. Not only will our struggles and disappointments come to an end, but the Lord will make all things right. Friends, we can't be patient until His second coming because we know that God, when He comes, will bring judgment upon all evil upon all wrong. At His second coming, the Lord, as we see today, will come to an end, will be destroyed, and everything that is corrupted will be wiped out. And God will make a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness will dwell. That time has not yet arrived, friends, but it will at the coming of Christ. So be patient, therefore, brothers. Until the coming of the Lord. Friend, I wonder, how often do you think about the coming of the Lord? How often do you long for it? If you don't, perhaps this is one of the reasons why you struggle with patience. Because our hearts and our our, our worldview, our view of life is not thinking with that great reference point. Our minds are thinking only about today, only about the now, only about the immediate. Think of your life as looking forward to the coming of the Lord when He will make all things right. It will give you a motivation for patience. Think upon the coming of the Lord. It is a motivation and an extent for how long we should be patient. So what can you do to develop patience? Well, we looked at the meaning of patience. Wait. It means waiting peacefully. We also looked at the extent and the motivation of patience. Wait until the Lord returns. Now let's look at the means. How do we grow in this patience? What what are we to do in the here and now to be patient? The means for growing in patience. The third point of the sermon. There are two imperatives left that we have not yet considered, and these two imperatives give us a hint of the kind of things that we can be responsible, and we are responsible for, what we can do to grow in patience. Here's the first imperative, a sub-point of the last point, of the third point. Watch the heart. Watch your heart. Look at verse 8. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now what does it mean to establish your hearts? If you look at other translations, you might find things like in the, the NIV translates it as stand firm. Or the NASB s- translates this phrase as strengthen your heart. Well, the word to establish is really what that word is to establish your heart. What, what does it mean to establish your heart? Uh, the, word, the verb establish can be translated as fixing firmly in a place, or it can also be translated as to cause to be inwardly firm or committed. So to establish means to cause to be inwardly f- firm. Or committed. It's interesting that the command to establish your heart comes right after the command to be patient. This suggests that in order to be patient we actually have to watch our hearts. What are they firm on? What are they firm about? What are they committed to? The, the word this verb to establish is used somewhere else in the Gospels where Jesus, we are told that Jesus established his face to Jerusalem. In other words, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem, despite all that awaited Jesus. He set his face. He set his direction to go to Jerusalem. As one of the, one of the commentators said on this, in what, this is one example, the example of Jesus, In this example, we feel the whole force of the word to be established or to establish. It means determination. It means a steely resolution. It means persistence. All this is to be directed towards our hearts. In other words, James is faithfully warning us against an old enemy that he addressed in this letter before. The enemy of inconsistency. If we are to be patient, we must watch our hearts against spiritual inconsistency. Remember how throughout this letter, James exposed the sins of inconsistency in the heart? He addressed, he exposed the double-mindedness of the man who just hears the word but does not do it. The double-mindedness of the person who is unstable in, in all his actions. The person who wants to keep his friendship with the world on one side and wants to keep his friendship with God as well, he thinks he can, he can do both well. Throughout this letter, James has been exposing the inconsistency of the heart. So now James says, establish your heart. Make it firm. Make it firm in one direction. Make a firm commitment in one direction. If you are to be patient, If we are to be patient, if we're to grow in patience, we need hearts that have a firm commitment in one direction. Friends, the heart is so important for our spiritual well-beings that when James addressed in the the passage earlier, in in the first six verses of James 5, when he addressed the, the ungodly rich oppressors, he spoke about their hearts as well. He said in verse 5, chapter 5, James said to those who were richly uh, or indulging in riches and oppressing the poor, you have fattened your hearts. You have fattened your hearts. Now in James 5, 8 he says to believers establish your hearts. What a difference. You can either fatten your heart or you can establish your heart. You can either have hearts that are firmly committed in one direction or you can have hearts that you allow to indulge in whatever your heart desires. And there's no brittles in putting guardrails against your heart. Whatever our lifestyle, our heart lies at the center. It's either the focus of indulgence or the focus of determination. So why should you establish your hearts? Why should you have determined hearts? James says, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Again, this idea of the coming of the Lord, the second coming of Christ, is such an important truth that should help us as we think about what should our hearts be determined to? What is the direction you should direct your heart to? Direct it to the fact that the Lord is coming again. Direct it to that truth. So we pursue being patient by watching our hearts, by strengthening the commitments of our hearts to fight off double-mindedness because we know that Christ is near. Friends, do you want to grow in patience? Watch your heart. What do you strengthen it with? What do you strengthen it towards? What do you make your heart look forward to? Is there sense in all those answers? Is there a place where the coming of Christ... Is one of those directions for your heart. The second aspect that we can do to to grow in patience is not only to watch our heart, the second is watch your tongue. Watch your tongue. Look at verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. When things are difficult, when things don't go our way, when we are overcome with disappointments, we are most vulnerable to grumblings. For some, grumbling is a way of releasing out our bitterness. We think that by grumbling, we are getting rid of it, or we're coping with it. (laughs) No, we don't we're only making it increase. Patience, dear friends, is most clearly seen not only in how we react to circumstances, but how we react to other people in those circumstances. I love how someone said, Christian patience puts a restraint upon our grumbling against each other. Do you want to see a a person who lacks patience? Look at a person who is grumbling. When we grumble against one another, we are displaying our lack of patience with one another. Friends, this is why the test of grumbling is important. If there's grumbling in the heart, or if there's grumbling in the mouth, realize there's a low level of patience in your heart. If you don't want to grow in patience, then keep grumbling. But if you want to grow in patience, don't let your heart grumble. Stop it. Don't get it out. Cut it off. It will only make your fight for patience worse. Now, friends, few Christians take grumbling seriously. Few of us do. But God does. A lot. He takes it so seriously that James reminds us what role God takes towards our grumbling. Verse 9 says, Do not grumble against one another, brother, so you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. God takes the role of a judge when we grumble. When we grumble, God is near to us. But not to fix our grumbling. He is near to us to judge. Well friends, if we realized that our grumbling towards one another or against one another does not call for God's help, But instead it calls for God's judgment against us, not against the other person, against us. If we realize that, we perhaps would would grumble less. If we realize that God is so interested in our grumbling, that He's right there at the door. He shows up. But He shows up not to help. He shows up to chastise. He shows up to cleanse us. He shows up to judge Oh friends, realize God is interested in the sin of grumbling. That's why He's present. The presence of God is near when we grumble, but not as a helper, but as a judge. So do you want to grow in being patient? Make a firm commitment to stop grumbling. Stop grumbling against life's circumstances and stop grumbling against others in the process. The commands that James gives us in this text, there are four imperatives all related to this call for patience. In the New Testament, the New Testament speaks about patience as being the fruit of the Spirit. You want to see more of the Spirit working in your life? The Spirit will work the fruit of patience. Ask for that fruit. Ask God to grow this fruit in your life. The New Testament also speaks about patience as being one of the key characteristics of genuine love. To say that you love people But you lack patience is an oxymoron. 1 Corinthians 13.4 Love is patient. But in this text, James commands us to be patient. We have a responsibility to pursue this patience. And in this text, James relates the call for patience to to the coming of Christ. It is because he's coming back that we can live patiently. Until he comes. Friends, let me ask you do people around you see patience in your life? I'm not asking if you see yourself patient. I'm asking if the people around you see patience in your life. What are the areas where you are seeing the fruit of patience in your life? What are the areas where you're lacking it? Ask the Lord to help you grow in this patience. The Spirit desires to grow in us this fruit, but it is also a responsibility upon us. It is a command that God gives us. And do so. Be patient. Respond to this call for patience by watching your heart to be firmly established in one direction, the direction of the coming of the Lord. And watch your mouth. Watch your tongue. Don't engage in grumbling against one another. And as First Thessalonians 5.14 says, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Let's pray. Father, we praise you because you are God who teaches your people how to live in a manner that would bring glory, would bring attention to your name a way that pleases you, and a way that characterizes you. Oh God, we thank you that you are a God who is patient. Father, help us to be patient in our walks with you. Help us to be patient in the circumstances of life. Help us to be patient in our relationships to one another, and especially to those who are of the family of faith. Father, I pray for Parkless Baptist Church that we, as a church, as members of this congregation, that we would grow in patience so that the name of Christ would be exalted among us. It is in His name that we pray. Amen.